Welcome to the Knitting on the Run podcast. Show notes can be found at knittingontherun.podbean.com. You can find me online on Ravelry and Instagram as Windswept Monique, on Twitter as Windswept Knits, on Facebook as Windswept Designs, and I'd love for you to join our Ravelry group. You can also email me, podcast at windswept-designs-online.com. Hello and welcome to the Knitting on the Run podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 16th, 2017, and it is nice to be back. Thank you all very much for your patience with my two-week hiatus. I was only expecting to be away for one week when we were away and visiting family in Canada, but sometimes life gets in the way, so we had to postpone last week's show. I want to give you a quick warning in advance that one of our cats is hanging around here meowing her head off and knocking my laptop over. Hey, 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 careful kitty. So if you hear some strange noises in the background, my apologies. That's our little Cali girl. But um, she's our sweetie. She's our, our 16-year-old cat. So we, we kind of let things slide. So, but you might hear some purring in the background, just to warn you. Segments this week include FOs, whips, wearables, and extended pattern stocking segment in which we'll be discussing finding patterns that fit your body shape, and on the road. And as always, this will be in 30 minutes or less. Here we go. I have two FOs to share with you, which is very exciting. I finished my second Hamel Knit hat. Pattern is by Emily of the Knitting Butterflies podcast. If you are a Hamilton fan, you need to knit this hat. It's brilliant. I was singing the songs while I was knitting up the lyrics. It's lovely. It's a lot of fun to knit. This is, as I mentioned, this is the second time I've done it, so I truly enjoy this pattern. And I have one more I need to knit for somebody else in my family that will be coming soon. <laughs> this one was for my husband's co-worker, who is absolutely lovely, and she asked if I could make one for her after seeing mine, and she is so sweet with our boys. Uh, so I made this for her. And the second FO I have is a purple hitchhiker by Martina Baim, a.k.a. Strechnik. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. My German is a bit rusty. And as those of you who've been listening for a while know, I've been working on a family of hitchhikers for a family that is dear to us, um, and the mom of the family is sick. I've been making hitchhikers over the course of the past few months for all four of them. This is the last one. Yay, I'm done. Before fall, I'm very excited. They can actually wear them this coming year. <laughs> for a little while, I was beginning to wonder if, you know, maybe ready for next spring, but hey, you know, they're done now. I do need to weave in some ends uh, before Stash Dash ends on August 20th for them to count for Stash Dash, but the knitting part is done, so they're finished, but not finished, 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 if you take my meaning, as the Knitmores would say. On two whips, aside from the two patterns I've finished, I've also been working on a pink silk hitchhiker, same pattern, Martina Baimstrichmich, for my mother-in-law for Christmas. She saw the pink hitchhiker that I made for another friend of mine, part of the family of hitchhiker shawls, and she really liked the pattern and the color. Of course, I then could not find that color yarn anywhere, even though it's from webs. They're sold out of that one particular color, but I found a very similar color at a great yarn in Chatham, Massachusetts, but instead of being a uh, Cascade Ultra Pima sport, it is... Uh, um, 
Ito's Kinu yarn, K-I-N-U, which is 100% silk. It's It feels like a raw silk. I know it's not actually raw silk. From what I understand, it's leftover silk that's not used to make the super fine stuff. Now, obviously, my knowledge of, you know, factory spinning is showing here. I don't know much about it at all. But it's it's part of the silk that they can't use for other things. And, and this company thought, well, you know, it's silk. Why are we throwing this out? That's ridiculous. And they found a way to spin it up into a yarn that I find a joy to work with. It's, um, it, it feels, I don't want to say scratchy because that's not the right word. You know, it feels more textured on the skin than most silk yarns that I've worked with. But once it's knit up and you feel it in the final piece, it is just soft against the skin. And I love working with this yarn. This is, I think, the third thing I've made out of it. And I have more. I've already bought more. I'm going to be using this yarn for years to come as long as they make it. I love this for warm weather projects or for really lightweight shawls. Um, I also have been doing a lot of work on the Empire Top by designer Lily Go, and this one's for me. I'm working on this out of a discontinued cotton bamboo blend called Peekaboo from Frog Tree Yarns, and I need to finish this by the 20th for Stash Dash because it's it's got to be close to a thousand yards at this point. It is a three-quarter length sleeve tunic, and I've got it down, you know, below the derriere so I can wear it with leggings and, and knee-high boots for the fall and winter. And I'm excited. I'm almost done. Only one more sleeve to go. I can do this. I can get this done by the 20. And the last thing I've worked on is the Triang Shawl by Lee Meredith. I started this after SSK. As I mentioned, I took the Triang class with Lee Meredith, and it was great. And I'm working on this out of Aurakania's Yumbrel. I haven't done much work on this, just a few rows, but I have done some, so it's getting included here. And on to wearables. I have worn a few things. I brought a couple things with me to Canada to wear because usually when we go to Nova Scotia, it's cool. You know, it's just that much further north from where we live outside Boston. But it was a heat wave. It was gorgeous. My kids got a sunburn. Go figure. I don't remember ever getting a sunburn going to Nova Scotia as a kid. But hey, you know, climate change and all that, right? So I did wear my Thoughts by Hohi Locatelli, which is also made in Aurakania's Yumbrel. Now her pattern actually is a little bit different. I believe it calls for a fingering weight. I think fingering and not sport, if I recall off the top of my head. I could be wrong on that. But I knit this in a lace weight yarn. So I adjusted the numbers. So I actually knit the numbers from the extra large size, but because my gauge was so much smaller, it came out roughly the measurements of a size medium. And I love this. This is a great sweater. You guys should all make this. I also wore my mommy's tunic, which uh, is a pattern of my own. And I wore the new one I worked up last month, which is in Juniper Moon Farms Nev, which is a chainette construction cotton. So the cotton is is um, lighter than a normal cotton that you'd maybe knit a sweater out of. And I like that because the piece doesn't weigh a ton, which is great. And it was it's great for those days where it's um, you know not too hot and not too cold. And yeah, I definitely recommend Nev. It's a great yarn. On to Stash. I got a new gradient kit in the mail last week, and I'm very excited. It is from Birdie's Knits, and she is an independent designer out of New Jersey. And like me, she is allergic to animal fibers. So her cottons are gorgeous. All those beautiful things that I see people talking about online from, 
you know, I don't know, it was Babs or Madeline Tosh or, you know, all these gorgeous dyers and hand dyers and independent dyers that I hear people talk about that I don't get to play with. Well, she has gorgeous colors like that, and I love it. Ironically, this is a gradient kit, so it's um, not the speckled yarns uh, that she does, actually is probably more known for, but it's a colorway called Denim for Days, so it's eight shades, 50 yards each, pretty much every shade of blue jean denim color you could imagine, and it's gorgeous, and I can't wait. It's going to knit up to be a shawl at some point, and I'm very excited. This is the same dyer. If you remember, I knit a gradient shawl, the uh, Maristella shawl in a series of turquoise from turquoise down to ivory and, and white and um she also dyed that gradient kit she's amazing definitely recommend her yards and i don't know where she sources her cotton but it's super soft i know a lot of people hate cotton they think it's kind of hard and they don't like it it doesn't have a lot of give but her stuff she gets it from somewhere great because her her source oh it's beautiful i love working with it and now on to an extended pattern stocking I want to talk a lot about the try it on room at SSK and what I learned because, you know, we, we say this, but we don't always think about it when picking out a new pattern. And this isn't what you want to hear, but what your eyes like may not be what fits you best. Now, I'm going to repeat this. What your eye likes may not be what fits you best. Now, that's hard to hear. I know for me too, I don't always take that in, into consideration. I look at the beautiful patterns and just say, I'm going to knit that. But you really need to consider your body shape when picking, especially a sweater that you're going to spend how many hours on working. Yeah, yes, of course, you can tweak the pattern to make it fit you. And I know I do that all the time. I rarely work on a pattern exactly as written because my body shape doesn't match the models. But when you're picking out a pattern to start from, Picking a pattern that flatters your shape is going to be a much easier way to start, and you're probably going to be a lot happier with the result. For example, I was talking to a couple people about this, the Hitu Fude cardigan. It really emphasizes your bust. It looks great on pretty much everyone with an average bust or a small bust, no matter what size waist or hips you have, because the unusual shaping it has, it sort of hides your waist and hips to some degree, but the way it cuts around your neck and down toward the side of your chest and then right back out again. Well, if you have a large chest, it's kind of like wearing a highlighter saying, hey, look at my boobs. If that's not what you're looking for, then this is not a sweater you should make. If you have a small to average size chest, and especially if you're looking to sort of offset or hide your hips and waist, then this is a sweater you should definitely make. It will probably look excellent on you. Another popular top a lot of people were trying on was breathing space. And that looks great on a lot of body shapes. But where the horizontal lines fell on your bust really changed the appearance. The bustier women liked it better having, at least I should say, the ones I talked to. Now, mind you, this is not everyone. But some of the bustier women I talked to liked it better having the diagonal lines start as written at the bust line. Because it de-emphasized a large chest. Whereas a lot of the smaller, medium-sized bustier women liked the horizontal lines to end just below the bust, sort of like where an empire waistline would be, because the horizontal stripes helped balance the smaller bust with their hips. So how you are built really needs to be taken into account when you're picking something to start with. Another pattern that looked good on a lot of people was Ann Bud's skirts. She was marvelous and brought her four samples of her various pleated skirts with her. 
And I never thought I'd want a knitted skirt. I mean, just, you know, you know how knitted fabric falls over, you know, frumpy areas. You don't want that on your hips, do you? Well, yeah, in a well-written pattern, you do. The four sizes she brought looked good on everyone, and I mean everyone. I saw the skinniest person there try it on. I saw the largest person there try it on, and it flattered everyone from, you know, top to bottom and in between. Who knew? I mean, a well-knit, well-designed piece that takes into account your body shape will flatter you even though you don't think it will. I'm going to talk about a few other patterns that I am now personally stalking. These are items that I tried on or I saw a lot of other people try on that might work well given your body shape. Um, I really like the Secret Garden Tank by Melissa Whirl. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. W-E-H-R-L-E. There's a hidden lace panel at the back. And so that gives it an A-line shaping after, you know, below the bust, which is very flattering on a whole bunch of people. It is a wide strap tank top and you could easily add sleeves if you don't want to have your arms hanging out. But it was a very flattering cut for a lot of body shapes. I mentioned the Hitufu Day by Hiroko Fukatsu. I really want to knit this again. I have knit this before and I loved it. But while traveling with two very small children about a year or so ago. I left it at an airport and they never found it. And in my head, some person is now the owner of a beautiful hand-knit cardigan and I hope they like it and hope they appreciate how many hours I put into making that thing. There is, I do want to make the breathing space part cardigan that I mentioned earlier by Vera Valamaki. And I think I will take the route that a lot of other medium-sized chested women do and, and, uh, continue the horizontal striping a little bit further than written, but I did like that pattern and it was very flattering on a lot of different shapes. The vitamin D cardigan by Heidi Kermeyer has a sort of similar shape to Hitofu Day, excuse me, but it hangs a little more straight up and down so you don't quite get that boob highlighting effect as the Hitofu Day. So if you're, if you're kind of tempted by the Hitofu Day craze, but you're worried that it's not going to work with your bust, take a look at the vitamin D cardigan. The hoodie shawl cardigan by Suzanne Summer was something I found interesting. It involves a whole bunch of different colors, and it's a little more colorful than I normally wear in one garment, but it looked great on me, and it looked great on a lot of other people, so maybe I need to really get outside my comfort zone when it comes to colors and really look closely at patterns that at first glance my eye might just skip over because it's a little too bright for my normal taste, but it looked really good on a lot of people. Another one that was very flattering on several people was The Dark and Stormy by Thea Coleman. This has a shawl collar, which I normally avoid. I don't know why I normally avoid it. I just do. I actually own one sweater that has a shawl collar, and I do like it a lot, so I don't know why I, I skipped this, but it looked good on a lot of people with a lot of different body shapes, and it was really nice to see. Now, one other um, important piece of advice to take into consideration when picking a new pattern is to, if you can't obviously get a hold of an actual sweater to try it on and talk with the person who knit it, look at all the pattern photos on Ravelry. A lot of the time, especially with these popular patterns, there's going to be dozens, if not hundreds of people who've made the pattern. Scroll through all the photos. Look for someone who has a similar body shape to you and see how it fits them. That will give you some idea. Now, granted, it's not going to be perfect. 
you can hide a lot of flaws with photography and good lighting, but it will give you an idea of how it looks on different body shapes. Now, sometimes you're going to have patterns that only have three, five, 10, 20 people who've made it so far, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes those are the best patterns out there. People just haven't found them yet. In that case, you really want to take a close look at the measurements. Personally, when I put my own designs up there, I like to include the graphic that shows, you know, the width of the bust, the width of the waist, the length of the arms, you know, all those basic measurements. Take a look at that graphic or the listing of the, the pattern sizing in the pattern notes itself and compare that to the garments you wear. See, is the bust, you know, if, if the bust is the same size, is the waist the same size? Are the sleeves long enough? Are the sleeves wide enough? Compare it to something you're very, very comfortable in, and you'll have an idea how well that garment will fit you. But it is absolutely crucial that you pay attention to more than just the bust size. I know that's kind of the token measurement that everyone's given for a sweater. But there's so much more to a well-fitting garment than just your bust size. And you know, maybe we'll save the rest of this discussion for a later time and we can talk about pattern sizing and adjusting patterns to fit your body type because there's a whole wealth of information in there. And we'll save that for another week. On the road. Well, we spent a week up in Nova Scotia, Canada recently visiting my cousins and it was so nice. We hadn't been up there in... God, nearly three years? Yeah, the last time... Four years, almost four years, I think. The last time we were up there was for my great-aunt's 100th birthday party. So it's been been quite a while. And it was so nice to see family again. And if any of you ever have the chance, it is really easy to head to Nova Scotia. I totally recommend it. There's flights in and out of Halifax if you're looking to head to the northern part of the province, up in the Brador and Cape Breton and the Halifax metro area. If you have the chance, uh, Cape Breton and the Bradour are just beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, and you should totally visit someday if you're interested in driving. Actually, I probably should back up here. Uh, if you're not familiar with how Atlantic Canada is shaped, so if you picture the United States in the upper right corner, you've got Maine. While the coastline keeps going up straight for a very long time and makes it a very, very deep bay, called the Bay of Fundy, which is a lot of fun to visit in itself. It literally has the highest tides in the world. You can watch the tide come in as a wave. It's kind of mind-boggling. Totally recommend it someday if you have the chance. So Nova Scotia then is kind of like a gigantic peninsula jutting straight back down again, back south, or vaguely south, anyway. We're talking roughly here. So if you want to get to Nova Scotia, you either have to drive north from Maine and go all the way around the Bay of Fundy, which is a very long drive when you have a two and a five-year-old in your car. Fly, uh, which doesn't quite work as well for us because my family is at the very southern tip of the province. Or you can take a ferry from New Brunswick over to Digby, the St. John boat, which drops you off in Digby. Or you can take a boat out of Portland, Maine, which drops you a very convenient 20 minutes from my family. So we took that one. It was a very interesting ferry ride. It's a, a newer boat, or newer to this run boat, and they've been having some problems. So we we had a, well, let's just say, we, we, it kind of started to feel like Gilligan's Island after a while, you know, a, a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. It was supposed to be a five-and-a-half-hour sail, but thanks to a gigantic comedy of errors, I have to admit, most of which were 
not under their control. Uh, one of the ways we were sailing was eight hours. It was, you know, one of the engines was having trouble, which they've, they've known. So we knew in advance it was going to be about a six and a half hour sail. Okay. And then by sheer dumb luck, somebody had cut a fishing line, fishing net, and set it adrift in the Bay of Fundy, and it got sucked into one of our engines. So they had to stop, reverse, and untangle the engine. Luckily, it was just fine. The engine was just fine. We went on our merry way, and then there was some 13 or 14-year-old girl who decided to hide from her family, and they had to stop the ship to try to locate her because they were worried about, you know, we very nearly had a man overboard call because it took them a while to find her. And uh, obviously they did not identify this poor girl by name, but I'm pretty sure she was in big trouble once she was found. Um, but we eventually did finally arrive home safe and sound in Maine after a very crazy set of circumstances, which were most of which were beyond the ferry companies, you know, it was out of their control. It was not their fault, but uh, eight hours on a ferry with two small children was fun. Better than an airplane, I suppose. You know, at least you can get up and walk around, and they showed kids' movies, and they had a kids' play area, and the food was halfway decent. But, yeah, that was long. But being up there, seeing my family was really nice. They've got a, um, a heritage site now, so I am what's called an Acadian, so um, some of the French settlers who settled back in the 1600s in Nova Scotia. It's a lot of history, and I won't go into the details, but let's just say the, Brit the British eventually took over, kicked the French out. My family were some of the lucky ones. Um, they were actually on a boat together. The family, whole family was, so they, they got to stay together. Some of the families were separated, like the mom on one boat, the dad on another boat, the kids on another boat. It was, it was really nasty. It was basically cultural genocide. So fast forward, my family actually eventually made it back to Canada, to Nova Scotia, and those are the Acadians. A lot of folks ended up settling in France. The ones who made it to Louisiana are the Cajuns. They're my distant cousins. This is a lot of a lot of heritage and, and family pride. And so it was really nice to go up there and see they have a new, what they call um, Le Village Historique Acadien, the Acadian historical village in my grandmother's hometown of Pubnico, Nova Scotia, and they've done an amazing job. It's a lot like a, a kind of like a Plymouth plantation, a little bit, probably around the same size, but a slightly different scale. It's kind of hard to describe, but if you're ever in the area, I definitely recommend it. The staff are so nice. I will admit my bias. I am related to a few of them. <laughs> I do have cousins who work there, so owning that now, but the food, oh my God, the food is amazing. If you're in the area, you need to go visit there. It's very inexpensive. It's $15 for um, a family membership, which gets the entire family in as much as you want for an entire calendar year or $7 per adult by the family membership. It's, gets a, it's a great deal. And eat, eat lunch there. You can actually just go in and eat lunch if you want to, but it's really worth going around and seeing all the old houses and seeing all the ways, you know, you can see how... Um, People used to cook in the old-fashioned stoves. You can see how fishermen made nets by hand. You can see 100-year-old spinning wheels. And there's usually some women there making old, traditional like fishermen's mittens that they then felt and will sell in the gift shop. So there is a lot of actual knitting there, which I found really, really interesting because I don't remember my grandmère knitting. I mean, I know she could functionally. I, you know, she knit dishcloths and stuff, but I don't remember her actually 
doing a lot of knitting. She was an amazing quilter, phenomenal, phenomenal quilter, as well as were many of her sisters and, and sisters-in-law. She came from a very large family. I have vague memories, not vague memories, I have memories of my Tante Martha, my great-aunt Martha, knitting. But she was more of a crocheter. Uh, she would crochet, you know, the stereotypical old lady doilies were all over her place. I don't have a lot of memories of any of, of that generation knitting. Now, maybe it's because once they didn't have to, they didn't want to. Quilting was more of a prestige, you know, a beautiful quilt became an heirloom. I mean, the quilts, the quilting tradition from this heirloom area will blow your mind. I mean, they have a display sometimes and we'll set them up in the church there. And you can go see a couple hundred years worth of quilting tradition. And I would extremely recommend stopping in and seeing that because the, the oh my lord, it's amazing. The, the beauty of it all is astounding. So I'm really curious as to where the knitting tradition sort of died out. Now, like here in the States, there's a renaissance of, of handcrafting and quilting is very popular. And, you know, people pick up knitting on the side and knit themselves hats, gloves, sweaters, etc., but I'm really curious as to what happened in the intervening years. Where did knitting go? I mean, my mom can knit. She can, you know, she knits her own dishcloths and stuff like that, and she can knit a hat. But it wasn't a craft people picked up for beauty. It was a, it was a tool, which I find very, very interesting. Well, I'm looking at the clock now, and we're almost at 25 minutes, and so I'm going to stop here because this show is always 30 minutes or less. And I will see you next week, and maybe I can dig up some more info in the meantime about what happened to the knitting traditions of the Acadians, because I really don't know. And boy, am I curious. Well, I will see you next week, and keep something beautiful on your needles for me. Bye-bye. <laughs>